You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. Well, we uh, started this year off with uh, the first sermon of the year being Break Us. (laughs) And uh, we went through a series called Dangerous Prayers, and it appears that the Lord has answered our prayer. Amen? And every since then, this uh, year has just been a a year of breaking, a year of, of shaping, a year of pruning, a year for many of us of disappointment, a year that has stretched us and stretched our faith. Uh, next year, we are going to start the year with a prayer, Lord, bless us, amen, <laughs> comfort us. Uh, but, but that was the prayer that we prayed this year. And we also, many of us, started the year with some goals, didn't we? We started the year with some goals. And I'm pretty confident that at this point in our year, uh, this June, that those goals were probably not met by most of us. Uh, COVID-19 and all of the, the pain and challenges that came with it just has a lot of us off of our rhythms, off of our routines. And as a result, our goal list is not looking too good. But if you're like me, it doesn't take long for my goals that I set at the beginning of the year to look a little shaky and to fall apart. Normally by February, I'm looking at my goal list and I'm thinking to myself, this is not going well, right? Yes, January, I read the Bible every day but once. And then February, it normally seems like the wheels just kind of fall off. Anybody else like that, right? Uh, and, And so as we think about this, idea of goals. And as we think about the way that we start the year off and where we're at just halfway through the year, I want to put before you today one goal that every Christian should have. And this goal should be the one goal every single year we seek to do and to fulfill. And we see this in Philippians chapter 3. We know that the Apostle Paul is in prison in Philippi and that he is chained to Roman guards looking a very hopeless situation, yet he writes this letter with a lot of hope, calling the people of God essentially to rejoice throughout the letter. Look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. And then go down with me a couple more verses where we see in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And so Paul has set uh, his mind on one goal. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is past, I press on towards what is before me. And last week, Paul said his goal even more clearer. He says this in verse 10, my goal is to know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The apostle Paul lived with a one goal mindset. 
And that one goal mindset was to know Jesus and his resurrection, to to know the power of his resurrection and one day to experience fully the resurrection power by defeating death as Jesus did. He lived with the one goal mindset. And throughout the scripture, some of the most spiritually vibrant people have lived with a one goal mindset. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse four, this one thing I have asked for the Lord. This is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking after him. And Jesus taught us to live with this single eye, the single minded way of living. In Matthew chapter six, verse 33, when he tells us to seek first, This one thing, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added. In Luke chapter 10, verse 41 through 42, Jesus is spending time with Mary and Martha. He's a guest in their home and they want to show hospitality to Jesus. And Mary is busy cooking and cleaning and she gets upset with Martha. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Martha is cooking and cleaning and she gets upset with Mary because Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to him teach. And listen to what Jesus says in Luke 10. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. And what was the one thing that was necessary? The one thing that was necessary was the same one thing that that David talked about. And it's the same one thing that Jesus preached. And that is to know the Lord, to abide in him and to know the power of his resurrection. So today's sermon, I just simply want to give you one big idea, and it's this, press on to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, remembering how he pressed on for you. Press on to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, remembering how he pressed on for you. Make that your one life goal as a Christian to press on to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, to press on to know Jesus because he pressed on to save you. And this is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is is the ability to have this grit, this, this passion and this perseverance through the storms of life, through the detours of life, through the valleys and the mountain experience of life, to have this one single mindset to pursue Jesus, to know him in the power of his resurrection. And today, really quickly, I want to give you five ways in this text that Paul shows us or tells us how to pursue this spiritual maturity, how to reach this goal. The first is this, is by acknowledging your non-arrival. By acknowledging your non-arrival, verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal. And this is the apostle Paul. He's older in age and in years. He's sitting in a jail cell on house arrest. And yet, Though he has written many letters to churches and is seen as the premier leader of the early church, he is letting those he writes to know that I am not perfect. I have not been made fully mature. 
And, and for some of us, we need to hear this today because the reason that our faith is waning and the reason that we're apathetic and the reason that we are struggling so much in the midst of this pandemic is because for some of us, we believe that we have somehow arrived. I've read through the Bible once. I've, I've, I've heard sermons on this subject before. I've, I've done the church thing. I've done the community group thing. I've done the waking up early to pray thing. I've, I've, I've read the books. And even though we may not say it, we're living as if we had already reached our goal. But the Apostle Paul was living in a way that said, listen, even though I have been caught up in the third heavens and heard things that, that, that man uh, has not been blessed to hear, even though I've seen Jesus with my own eyes as I was traveling on the Damascus Road, even though I've experienced hundreds and thousands of people giving their life to Jesus, I have not reached my goal. And as Christians, we want to be careful to make sure that we know that. And even as we think about sin in our own lives, we want to be careful that we don't maneuver out of uh, a sin in areas of our life that we need to confront and grow by making excuses for them. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. For some of us, we believe that we have kind of fully made it or that we're farther along and mature uh, than we really are uh, because we have allowed pet sins to become normative in our life. And we've stopped seeking Jesus as our mediator. We've stopped confessing our need for him and seeing our need for him. God's invitation for you is to acknowledge your non-arrival. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how much I need him. The more I, I think I know about Jesus, the more I realize how much I don't know. And I pray that this will be your pursuit as well. Second, we press on by cultivating a devotion to Christ with determination. Look at what Paul says here. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. The Apostle Paul is pursuing his goal by making every effort. He is not passive in his pursuit of Jesus, but he is active. The only way that we're going to experience the, the fullness of, of, of Christ and being dwelled by the Holy Spirit is through active pursuit, is through making effort. And for some of us, we have the wrong mindset when it comes to grace and comes to the Christian life. We, we, we think that because God has saved us by grace, that God is somehow against effort. And that is not true. God uh, tells us that we cannot earn our salvation. This is true. We're saved by grace through faith. But the Bible gives us example after example about us making an effort to know Jesus. See, there's two extremes. One extreme says that everything is up to God. Everything is up to God. Once, once you get saved, you just let go and let God. God to do everything. 
And then the other extreme is everything is up to to me. No, the Bible teaches that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to put in effort, but also that it is God who is, is doing his good work within us. My fear is that in COVID-19, that we have too many people who have become complacent, too many people who have stopped making effort, who is excusing the, themselves and, and not pursuing Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to be like Paul, even in the midst of a pandemic, to to get a a tenacity about yourself by remembering what Jesus has done for you and determining in your mind that you're going to make every effort. I love what Paul says to take hold of him. And what is the motivating factor for me making the effort to take hold of Christ? Verse 12, because I have been taken hold of by Christ because of what Christ has done for me. Never forget what he has done for you and the effort that he made to redeem you, to save your soul, to give you a new heart, to give you life. So my question for you this morning is, are you making every effort to take hold of it? Are you making every effort to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, to experience the electrifying power of the Holy Spirit. Second is, have you been taken hold of by Christ? Because once you've been taken hold of by Christ, uh, no one should have to pump or prime you consistently to spend time with you. Once you have been redeemed and made alive in him and given a, a, and given a new heart, You should not have to be begged to spend time with the one who lived his life for you and died in your place. You should not have to hear a a A plus sermon or have a entertainment show every Sunday to, to make you want to know him more. You should remember where you were when he found you how hopeless you were, how you were living life for your own advantage, how you were headed towards hell, drowning yourself in drink or or alcohol, commiserating life itself. But he who knew no sin became sin so that you might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was reading a biography this week of a Christian missionary who died in Intermit camp. One of the teenagers who knew him and who came to Christ through his ministry said this about him. He made Christ's life so relevant and made it feel like we who followed Christ must do what he asked us to do when we are in the situation we are in. You don't get a dispensation because you're in the camp. And this was a missionary who was uh, in, in this work camp as he was serving on a mission field uh, in, uh, in, in Japan, excuse me, in China. And, 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 uh, and the Japanese came over and, and took over the area that they were uh, living in. And he got essentially imprisoned along with hundreds and, and thousands of others. And the Bible, uh, and the, the, the article that I read talked about how he led hundreds of people to Christ. And his thing was, 
I'm not going to stop doing what God called me to do because my situation changed. I'm not going to stop doing what God called me to do because my situation changed. I'm not going to stop pursuing Jesus and sharing the gospel because of COVID-19. Third, he tells us that he pursued this goal by forgetting and by reaching, by forgetting and by reaching. Look at this. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the promise, the prize promise by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says, forgetting what is behind, forgetting what is behind, reaching to what is ahead. And for some of us, the reason why this goal of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection is not being attained or it's not something that we're pursuing actively is because we have a hard time forgetting what is behind us. And if we're going to be successful in, in knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, if we're going to be successful in, in pressing on, it is because we have learned to put the past where it belongs in the past. Some of our past failures are keeping us from knowing Jesus. Even though he has forgiven us of our past sins, we keep going back to our past failures. For other of us, it's our past sinful way of living. Though God has delivered us out of Egypt, though God has delivered us out of, of Sodom, we are still looking back on those sinful days with nostalgia as if we had hope. And God is saying, it is time for you to close the door to Egypt. It is time for you to stop flirting with Sodom. It is time for you to take those radical steps and for you to stop looking back as you plow for Jesus. He says, I forget what is past and I reach, I, I stretch for it, I, I strain for for what is to come. And for others of us, the thing that we need to forget about the past is our past successes. Well, you know, five years ago, Pastor Jamal, whoo, I used to wake up 5 a.m. in the morning and meet Jesus. It was so amazing. Well, how's your prayer life now? But you don't understand, five years ago, you know, once Pastor Jamal, a couple years ago, I shared my faith and this person came to Jesus and they got baptized. Well, well how's sharing your faith going now? You know, when I was a teenager, I was on fire for Jesus and Jesus. Listen, I just don't believe that, 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 that the best that God has for you is behind you. I believe that God wants you to stretch forward, to reach forward, to press on, knowing that your best experience in him is to come. He takes us from one degree of glory to the next. Don't settle for the past. For some of us, the past is an old job or old boyfriend or girlfriend or old living situation. God says, stop looking back to the past and move, stretch forward. There's nothing in Egypt for you. There's two powerful word pictures that we see in this text. The first is reaching forward. It's the picture of an athlete, perhaps a, a runner or one who ran races, uh, a chariot races, 
Uh, both in order to be successful, had to stretch forward, had to go forward without looking back. And then the second is this term. He says, I pursue as my goal, the prize promise. I pursue. This is a a phrase that was used in Greek writing to uh, talk about one who is hunting a prey. It's an active pursuit. Reach forward, stretch. Many of you have heard of or seen the classic movie Chariots of Fire by Eric Little. And it's a wonderful uh, movie that is famous and, and known all throughout the, uh, the world. And Eric Liddell, excuse me, uh, was Scottish, was from England. He grew up to Christian missionaries, um, who, uh, parents who served in China. He discovered he had a very good athletic gift and became a gifted runner. He would be successful in reading and running the 100-yard uh, meter dash. In fact, he was so successful that he got invited to run in the 1924 Olympics, um, which were held in, in Paris. However, uh, Eric Liddell did not end up running that race in Paris. Instead, he ran the 400-meter dash. And the reason why he did not run was because he believed that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. And uh, he refused to run the race that he was called to run once he saw that his race was on the Sabbath day. And some of you know the story about how the Lord gave him the strength to win a race, which was the 400-meter dash, which uh, he was uh, not supposed to win, and he ended up taking on the gold medal uh, in in that Olympics for the 400-meter dash. It was miraculous that he came back and upset the person who was winning. But a year before that famous Olympic run, he had another run. He was running a race in his field, the 100-yard meter dash. And at the start of the race, um, he was tripped and he fell very violently to the ground. And he got up limping and he lost about 20 yards in a 100 meter yard race. And those who were there said that they witnessed the most miraculous athletic feat that they had ever seen. The whole world heard about it. And this is really where his legend began. He dusted himself off and he sprinted full speed ahead until he caught the first person and then impossibly caught the next. And then before you know it, he caught the leader of the race and he run that 100 meter dash and he fell over on the concrete, utterly exhausted. And people talked about how it was miraculous. But listen to what he said in an interview right after. He said, the first half I ran as fast as I could. The second half I ran faster with God's help. And every time he was interviewed, he talked about how the Holy Spirit empowered him to run that race, to to press on. And it's in the same way for those of you who are in your second stage of of Christianity, after the fire has kind of died out and you've had some good experiences and some negative experiences, you need to keep pressing on towards the mark of the high calling, understanding that you need God's help more than you did when you first came to faith and you were just excited about being renewed and that God wants to empower you to run the second part of your race, the third part of your race, those of you who are more seasoned, maybe the fourth leg of your race than ever before. 
The second act, this third act, this fourth act that God has you on can be the most powerful of your life. But like Paul, you have to determine to press on forth as we humbly follow the godly example of others while rejecting worldliness. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Paul said, this is what the way those who are mature think. Those who are mature are not those who can quote the Bible because they have a wonderful memory inside and out. Those who are mature are not those who look like they have it all together and who have already arrived. Those who are mature are those who are constantly forgetting what is past. As Paul showed us last week, all of his accomplishments before Christ, all of these false identities. It is those who are pressing on to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay, listen to this, careful attention to those who live according to this example that you have in us. Paul invited this church to look at his example and to watch him carefully. And my question is, who are you setting up as your example right now in life? Is it those who are spiritually mature, those who live a vulnerable, real, authentic life in Jesus, not those who are just living up here, but those who are also grounded and taking what's here and, and living it on the ground? Or, or is it the person that you see on your favorite television show or the, the business entrepreneur that you want to, to, to be like? or the actress, or model, or musician? Who are you paying close attention to? This is the one who is following and seeking after God, or is it someone in our culture who everyone else is celebrating, who is living life for their own advantage? Too many Christians are enthralled and, and taken away by people who when life, and their life is over, who will be rejected for God for all eternity. And we set these people up as our heroes and as our idols, and they are headed to hell, headed to destruction, not living lives of, of, of service and, and sacrifice and evangelism and, and discipleship, but of greed and lust and fear fashion, foolish fashion that won't matter on the last day as those who are right with God will be clothed in robes of, of whiteness and righteousness. Stop modeling yourself after. Folly, Paul says, watch us. Verse 18, for I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This brought Paul to tears, brought him to tears that his, his Hebrew brothers, many of them, were not seeing Jesus as his Messiah. It, it brought him to tears that many of his Gentile friends that he would make things for as a tent maker did not know Jesus. And he's telling the church, wake up, many are enemies of the cross enemies to this beautiful Christ hymn that we see in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, this Jesus, who though he was God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but who became a human being 
and who lived and who died for us. Yes, death, even on the cross. These people who are enemies of the cry of the cross, they have something coming for them. Verse 19, and this brought them to tears. Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. It is hell. It is the lake of fire. Their God is their stomach. What does he mean? Their God is their stomach. This is a phrase that that basically uh, meant that their God was was their feelings. It was their gut. It was whatever felt right to them, whatever pleased them. And Paul didn't go to specifics. And I think he stays vague intentionally because for each of us, it may be something different. And Paul didn't want one group getting off saying, yes, Paul said they're in, their God is their belly. And so this person, for this person, it's, it's greed. And so I'm off the hook. Or for this person, it's, it's lust. Or so I'm off the hook. Or for this person, it's this. Paul left it vague, saying that they follow their feelings. They follow their emotions. They, they, they follow what makes them feel right in the moment. And it is what is leading them. And so many in our culture are enemies to the cross of Christ because they're following their gut rather than this glorious Savior who has come to give them true life. He says their glory is their shame. The very thing that they glory in on a day of judgment when they stand before the Bema seat of Christ is the very thing that's going to give them shame. If we're going to reach this goal, we must humbly follow the godly example of others while rejecting worldliness. And finally, we reach this goal by cherishing our heavenly citizenship. By cherishing our heavenly citizenship. Paul says, follow us, watch us closely. And if there's someone who is uh, inviting you to follow Jesus, but they won't allow you to watch their life uh, uh, closely, find somebody else to watch. He says, reject, reject uh, this godless example that many are, are following where the cross of Christ is not the center of their life. Remember this Christ hymn that we saw in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 is the most important section of this book, Paul wrote it that way intentionally, just as the, cro- the cross of Christ should be the most important part of our lives. It's the example that we look to. And when Paul talks about the cross of Christ, he's not simply talking about Jesus's death. He's also talking about Jesus' resurrection. That was shorthand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fifth, if we're going to press on, look at verse 19. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that a few times over because you need to hear this. Soldier, your citizenship is in heaven. Eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, not Caesar who everybody in Philippi said was Lord. No, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, your citizenship is in heaven. You are a sojourner. You are a pilgrim. We are just passing through. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. Don't give your heart 
to, to things and, and people and political ideologies that will all pass away. Your citizenship is otherworldly, and it is from this citizenship that we look at everything else. Wait for your Savior. Wait for the one who has redeemed you. What are we waiting for? Verse 21, and he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Wow. He says, wait, press on, he said. Press on and, and wait. Wait for your Savior who has promised to give you a glorious body, one that is not mortal, but one that is immortal. One that does not have cancer and COVID and aches and pains, but one that is fully healed. One that is complete. One that is glorious. Jesus is coming back to redeem you and me and the entire cosmos. Heaven and earth will collide and be made new. And at the sound of that great trumpet, all those who are dead in Christ will rise. And we will fully enter into this kingdom and see King Jesus himself. Don't settle for anything less. And we don't have to wait till then to experience joy. We can experience joy every single day in our, on our couch, early in the morning or late at night. When we open up our word and pray and abide in him, we can experience the power of his resurrection when we value praying with others. We can experience the power of the resurrection when we put down our selfishness and press into his example of self-giving love. We can experience the power of his resurrection. When, like Paul, we conclude, I'm going to forget what's behind and press on to what's to come. Every Sunday take a meal that reminds us of our citizenship, which is in heaven. We break bread. And traditionally, we would drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. And this meal reminds us of this future return of Jesus when we will eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the church, the bride of Christ, will meet her bridegroom face to face. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of we take the bread or the wafer that is inside our cup, which is at the front of the floor, and we eat it, remembering that Christ's body was broken for us. And we're going to drink this grape juice, remembering that His blood was shed for us. It was shed for you. Don't ever move past what Jesus did for you on the cross. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.